Hello everyone out there. I'm an idiot named Paul Mackey, and I have a lot to get to today. Today's episode, Really Big Things, was a big one that I split over two weeks so as not to abuse Mr. Mangan's hospitality, and it starts out where we left off at Ivo's Grotto. Ivo Firma was head of the million-dollar homeotherapy company Herbiotica in 1986 when an employee's ill-timed remark about his product's placebo effects threw his whole empire into ruin. Court testimony by employees of Herbiotica revealed that Firma made claims that he was in tune with the magic of the universe and was taking control of doors between worlds. Behind me is the small Wisconsin roadside attraction where the strange end of this swindler's story played out. This small concrete and glass hut is where Firma took residence during the court case and where the authorities completely failed to capture him in late 1991. Did Firma have the keys to the universe or was this simply a botched arrest? Find out more next on Pear-Shaped World. Really Big Things, a serial by Paul Mackey. Episode 13, Ivo's Grotto. So now suddenly you know this guy? Said Eric. Oh, my. Yes, said Ivo, rising slowly from the bedside. Yes, he has been here before, back between the start of the investigations and the raid. Ivo looked at Jeremy, then Eric. His lips parted, and he suddenly shook his head slightly and turned away. So you said this was a coincidence, said Eric skeptically. I am sorry. It was irresponsible for me to presume to understand the situation. I am certain, however, that this is not an attack on us. This whole business with the wraith, I admit, is troubling. And what about... Eric hesitated with a glance at Jack. What about the pills? Ivo considered for a brief moment, then said, "'That was an unfortunate error, apparently a way to bring Jeremy back here. There is no way he can be an appropriate candidate.'" "'Ivo, I've been with you a long time on this project. Who the heck is this guy?' "'Jeremy came to us quite by chance a while back with a group of his—' Ivo trailed off suddenly. "'Wait a second. Is this—' "'He's waking up,' interrupted Jack. Ivo looked to Jeremy— whose eyelids were fluttering and head moving slightly from side to side. Eric, I need you to check on Suzette. But, please, Eric, we need confirmation of her condition. Eric thought it over for a moment, then declined to protest. Yes, sir. Ivo waited to see Eric depart, then turned to the bedside. Jeremy? Oh, hell, my head. Someone get the plate number of that truck. Jeremy? Ivo licked his lips, then leaned in close. Jeremy, what happened to Lara? Jeremy turned his head to face Ivo. What? Where am I? You're safe, Jeremy, safe and sound, back in my grotto after all these years. It is, of course, larger and different than you may remember it. But the main point is, you've returned safe and sound after all this time. Now you must tell me about Lara. Jeremy refocused his eyes on Jack, who was doing his best to remain part of the background. Jack, who the hell is this guy? Ivo turned for a moment to look at Jack, his eyes narrowing and lips tightening to a hard, thin line. Jack said, This is Ivo, uh, apparently an old friend of yours? 
Jack trailed off and shrugged at Ivo. Jeremy closed his eyes and winced at his aching head. Ivo turned back to Jeremy. You don't remember, but you must. At least tell me something about Lara. I don't have any clue what you're talking about, old man. Ivo looked crestfallen. Tell me something. Anything. Oh, wait. Uh, Lara, you say? Ivo's features brightened. Yes? Sure, uh, Lara. Uh, she had a whole lot of adventures. They made a couple of movies about her with Angelina Jolie. Jeremy smirked. Nice set on her, I'll tell you. Ivo's mouth hung open. Jack leaned in. He's not telling the truth. I think that's a video game? Yes, I'm well aware it's a video game. Thank you, snapped Ivo. I'm just a bit shocked at the level of spite and malice. Neither of those was present when we last met, Jeremy. I still say you're mistaken. I don't know you. My name is Ivo Firma. You are a guest here in my grotto. Are you entirely comfortable? Jeremy rested his head back against the pillow. I hurt like hell, but aside from that... My people have seen to your wounds and injuries. Though you may not remember me, I have taken very good care of you. Ivo paused, then leaned in close to Jeremy. Would you allow me to use other means to check your memories? Would you consent? Jeremy looked up into eyes intensely staring back at him. What, you have some kind of hocus-pocus hypnotism thing? Ivo smiled slightly at this. Yes, something like that. Jeremy let his head fall back onto the pillow and let his breath out in a hissing sigh. Okay, give it a shot. Ah, good, said Ivo. He took Jack by the arm and led him to one side of the room. John, I need you to stand aside, right here. Do not disturb me or allow any others to disturb me. Now, he said, lightly resting the fingers of his left hand against Jeremy's temple. A little regulated breathing. In. Out. In. Out. Alast, really big things, listeners. This be your Captain Krusty Willy, the Chicken Pirate. You'll be wanting to sail on down to Chicken Heaven this week only. Slap your Chicken Lover's Club card on the counter and say, Arr, bring me a Krusty Willy. Not only will you get a Krusty Chicken Pot Pie, but you'll get a Krusty Willy Chicken Lover T-shirt. Now that scurvy dog Paul Mackey be getting too wordy. Almost like he'd be taking over this podcast. Deadpan Jack made a fool's bargain, if you ask me. Episode 13 is being chopped in two, and you'll be getting the second part this very next week. One more thing. The Chicken Heaven theme singers are getting hitched. You heard right. Mike Bryant and the lovely lass Cynthia are tying the knot. Raise your grog a choice high. To Mike and Sin, may your bellies, presses, and sails be ever full. Now back to Deadpan Jack and the rest of the podcast. Male chickens are usually referred to as cocks. So right off the bat, we had T. Morris teasing an upcoming news segment. This was partly meant to gently poke fun at Evo Terra being interested in herbalism, and trust me, I fully understand the difference between that and homeopathy. The idea was that Ivo Firma was making products using ingredients found in other worlds using the various doors he'd taken control of, and that regulators were unable to find identifiable active ingredients in his products. I have nothing against herbalists, and full contempt for homeopathy. Ivo has an agenda, and apparently Jeremy wants no part of it? 
Ivo clearly didn't want Eric around while he pressed his line of questioning. I did use Krusty Willie, the Chicken Pirate, and Chicken Heaven Restaurant again in my episode of Buffy Between the Lines, but I don't know if there's an easy way for you to hear that anymore. Lastly, Cynthia Gould let me know today that she and Mike remain a happily married couple of, quote, creative weirdos living in Toronto's East End. That 80s show is up to the episode Punk Club. The episode involves a main plot in which Corey fails to get a flyer handed to him by a punk girl handing them out at the record store. Tuesday, of course, did get one, but says she's not likely to check it out even after Corey invites her to go with him. In one subplot, Katie has returned to classes and is working hard on staying caught up. However, the men of the house, primarily R.T. and Roger, continually harp at her about all the household duties she used to solely take care of. There's also a C-plot in which Roger accidentally tears part of his hair out and avoids work or being seen in public. Sophia is encouraged to talk some sense into Katie by R.T., but when Katie tells the list of chores she used to do, Sophia works with Katie to make sure life in the house works out more equitably going into the future. Corey finds Tuesday at the punk club, and Tuesday winds up being torn between caring what people think about her boyfriend and her own self-impression of being someone who doesn't care what anyone thinks. They wind up pretty much agreeing that she will not aggressively defend his appearance to everyone, whether they say anything or not, but there really isn't a resolution presented other than they are not breaking up over this issue. The high point is probably the B-plot, which may actually take up the most screen time. Katie and Sophia have a great rapport together, and it seems entirely absent of that unrequited lusting from earlier episodes. For the low point, um... Well, I do get they don't have money for ideal extras in the punk club, but what the hell was all that half-hearted near-miss slam dancing? Come on, guys. At least shell out for a couple professional stuntmen who can ram into each other in a safe but believable way. Who won, who lost? Uh, Everyone kind of wins, or doesn't win, but nobody outright loses. R.T. and Roger wind up working through an organized chore plan with Sophia and Katie and possibly mature a bit in the process. Corey and Tuesday talk out their differences and aren't mad at each other at the end of the episode. Maybe Roger loses as all his hair is still messed up and he doesn't seem to have worked out his feelings about it. Is it an anachronism? Well, I knew that E.T. was a safe call having come out in 1982. I checked on the Michael Jackson Pepsi hair fire incident And that happened in early 84, making it a spot-on reference for this episode. Footloose, similarly, came out in February of 1984. Uh, The only thing I wasn't sure about was the existence of a cordless hair crimper in 1984, but I couldn't easily find any data on when that kind of product might have been introduced. What worked? The plot lines all felt completely appropriate for the characters, and also completely appropriate for the period. But why did it suck? Well, aside from a chore list, it didn't feel like much was resolved. It presented conflicts and issues and then just sort of said, well, everything's fine now. I'm sure Roger's hair will get fixed by the big red episode reset button, and he'll be on to something else next time. Next episode is Road Trip, which seems generic enough that I can't really predict very much. I suppose Tuesday and Corey are the ones most likely to be able to get away, assuming that Margaret feels charitable about giving them both the time off. The nightmare episode would be Katie and Owen road tripping alone the whole time. So let's look at part B of today's Really Big Things.
Ivo stepped cautiously down the road. He proceeded slowly, knowing rationally there was no road. It was his own metaphor for proceeding carefully through Jeremy's mind. To one side or the other, he could see vivid pictures of the inside of his grotto. Short-term memories not yet sent the direction he was heading, toward long-term memory. So far, everything looked as it should. But wait, just ahead, two features humped over and dim. That plane shouldn't be there. As he approached the darker one, a man blocked his path. Ivo stepped back in shock. The man was middle-aged with thick dark hair, piercing green eyes, and a Van Dyke beard. He was dressed in white robes, but the robes and his face bore some sort of dark stains or smudges. There shouldn't be anyone in here, said the man, chuckling slightly. No, I'm not in here exactly. I'm a construct. A construct, said Ivo, and yet you are sentient? To a point, said the man, I wear the guise of and have some qualities of my progenitor. And the name of your progenitor? I have not been furnished with. Ah, murmured Ivo, likely wise. Likely so, said the man, as you probe deeper than I thought you could reach. You can sense that? I only meant to see how you are made. I have need of semi-sentient constructs that require no unsavory additions. I understand your meaning, nodded the man, and I sense no malice, yet you must stop. Of course, said Ivo absently, now running his hand over the glass smooth dark hump of memory. And you protect this? No, said the man. I am here to protect Jeremy from this. His own memories? What is the sense in that? I can let you in, decided the man. But these memories are blocked beneath my protection by something I think you will find quite impenetrable. Ivo's hand stopped sliding. The glassy shell dissolved beneath. Ivo's hand went elbow deep into pain. Pain and chill and cold and dark and pain and death. Ivo gasped, pulling his hand away. Indeed, said the man. I protect him from the memory of his death. But, gasped Ivo, but he's not dead. Even better a reason to be protected from the memory. I see, whispered Ivo, who then turned almost fearfully to the other darkened hump of memories. And that, and that, said the man heavily. Speaking as my progenitor for a moment, that is something I wish I had noticed from the start, before getting the construct, me, in place. What is it? A cluster of hastily shielded memories, a crude blockade. It's also the home of the... else. I'm sorry? The... else. I fear I may have been infected by it. The... else was stirred up recently. Ivo slowly lowered his hand to the hump. He felt a hand between his shoulder blades. I'm... sorry. It's the... else. Ivo plunged wetly through the barrier. His clothes and hair hung heavily on him. He felt his heart pounding in his chest. A terrible sort of ecstasy filled him. Before him was a chaotic blend of images, iron girders, faces, all manner of shapes and chaotic sounds, screeches, moans, a foul taste filled his mouth and he had the urge to spit, but the thickness hung heavy on him and he could not breathe. Then he could see pale, pale face, face, staring eyes, not blinking, staring eyes, terrible, ragged, gas, terrible, ragged, gas, horrible, neck, smell, horrible, thick, black, creeping, 
black fluid creeping from the wound, constricting, thrusting, sound, rising, gorge, panic, nasty, blocked, sick. Jack was in a panic, looking at Ivo as he jittered and convulsed before him. He was about to grab him when Ivo jerked away from Jeremy with a loud gasping moan and fell to his knees in the corner, violently heaving up his dinner. Ah, that memory, said Jeremy mistakenly. Tasty. Ivo rose from the corner and sent his fist cracking into Jeremy's jaw. You've been listening to Really Big Things, a serial by Paul Mackey. Musical is Chronodermis by Nanochrist. Find out more at www.nanochrist.com. Special intro music was Three to Me from playitfree.com. Did I know about They Might Be Giants album, The Else, when I wrote this? I'm fuzzy on it. Let's go this way. If you think that that's pretty cool, then it's a full-on homage. And if you think it's a problem, then it was a total coincidence. How's that sound? No? Okay, I probably knew about it in the back of my head and forgot where I heard it. More production fun in this one with me multi-tracking myself with three different takes of the lines. Jeremy remembers dying. Or doesn't and a malevolent psychic goo blocks out something that causes Ivo to physically assault Jeremy. Must have been something pretty juicy, though Jeremy mistakenly thinks it must have been his quitting story. Well, tomorrow might be a Really Big Things Only episode. I have afternoon appointments after work, and I don't know how much spare time I'll end up having. I brainstormed a new sign-off, but can't remember what it is just now, so until then, happy hunting! You have been listening to the One Idget's Thoughts On podcast, produced by Paul Mackey in association with Quadruplez.com. Theme music is Too Good by Jack Mangan and is used by permission from him. If you would like to hear other podcasts by me, you might try The Ghostlight Podcast, a completed intro cast about the TV series Slings and Arrows, or Idgetcast, an intro cast for the TV series Supernatural. Both can be found on fine podcasting listening software everywhere or at quadruplez.com. Wrap this stuff up so I won't